Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? We'll get to know your emotions. When life gets you down, that's when sadness takes over. This is sadness. With a caring touch and a kind heart, sadness leaps into action to let you... I said sadness leaps into action. Sadness? Oh, sadness. Get to know all your emotions with Disney Pixar's Inside Out. Rated PG. All right, hey, welcome to Liquid Church, everybody. I'm Pastor Tim, glad you're here. We need to put our hands together. We're gonna give a big welcome to our brothers and sisters who are joining us. They're in Mountainside, New Brunswick, Nutley, and coming soon, Somerset County. So welcome those guys, we're glad you're with us. Or if you're listening online or through the podcast, glad you're here for the series Inside Out. It takes its title from a popular Pixar movie that's currently in theaters. Quick show of hands, raise your hand if you've seen this movie Inside Out, have you seen it? Okay, about a third of the people. It's, the, the movie is about the emotions of an 11-year-old girl, uh, which is to say it's a horror movie. Um, you know, just kidding. It's a fabulous movie, actually, to see with your kids. It, though it's a kind of an animated, you know, uh, film marketed towards children, it really has a profound message for adults. It is a gift to parents because it gives us vocabulary for all these kind of emotions and feelings that drive our behaviors from the inside out. And the main character is an 11-year-old girl named Riley, and she undergoes the trauma of moving from her home in Minnesota to San Francisco, the big bad city. Her dad has to relocate for his work, and so this means a middle school girl has to leave behind her friends, leave behind her home. She moves to a new place, starts a new school, all of this as she's hitting puberty, right? And so it churns up all this emotion in her life. And the genius of the film is that it introduces five primary emotions who act as the voices inside her head, and they're constantly competing for control of her life. And those five emotions are the personification of of feelings that psychologists say adults are driven by as well. As humans, we all experience anger, right? Who's constantly blowing his stack. You know, what's wrong with people? Why are you driving so slow? Maybe you have that on the way uh, to church today. Praise God for you. Uh, Sadness. Sadness, right? He's always a little bit down, glass half full. I feel sad, (sighs) you know? Now, joy, joy is the dominant emotion in the film. She's full of energy, very optimistic. And the job of joy is to make sure Riley feels happy at all times. She doesn't want sadness to touch any of Riley's memories or feelings, okay? Uh, Fear is the fourth emotion and constantly worrying, feeling anxiety, you know, over over things, you know, wondering, you know, what if nobody sits with me at lunch? What if there's an accident? What if, what if? Fear is a primary emotion for many adults as well. And then the fifth emotion is disgust. Oh, oh, he's so gross. My parents are so stupid. This is the primary emotion of middle school girls, okay? (laughs) Disgust. That is the main one there. And it's funny. What's funny is how Inside Out kind of personifies these emotions that control Riley's behavior. In other words, they're the little voices inside your head that begin when we're infants and carry on through adulthood. 
we go. All right, open. Hmm, this looks new. Think it's safe? What is it? Uh, okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! <laughs> yeah! I just saved our lives. Ooh. Yeah, you're welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not gonna get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you wanna play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Riley, ah! here comes an airplane. Ah! Oh. Airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. <gasps> All right. Anger, disgust, sadness, joy, fear. Uh, if you had to pick one of these, which would describe your dominant emotion today? I mean, as you're kind of thinking back, we're a mix of emotions, but as you're thinking back on the last week, what would be your, your main emotion? Um, as you saw in the movie, Riley's experiences are, are represented her, her, by a giant glass marble. She has all these marbles, and as you saw, the color of the marble corresponds to the emotion that's attached to the memory. So I brought a bunch of marbles with me today. I want to share these with you. So ushers, would you pass out? Take one marble out. Pass it down. Don't think this through. Just grab a marble. Reach in there, and you're going to see they're marbles of all different colors, okay? There's some with, like, yellow in them for joy, some with red, you know, for anger, frustration, blue for sadness. Um, you, you get the idea. And there's a, really a mix. So you're going to see there's a different bunch of different colors. Pat, what color did you get? What did you get there? You can't tell? You, you're colorblind? Okay. It's, it, which one? What's it, what's it, what do you got there, Claire? What is that? Is it red? Red, yellow, and blue. It was funny, in the other service, one of our worship leaders is like, red, I was like, you're angry and leading worship today, right? That explains a lot. Uh, you may have blue, a little bit of a joy in there. Maybe, maybe your joy, you're like, I saw somebody with a shirt at the other service, blessed and highly caffeinated. They've had their coffee, you know? Maybe you didn't have your coffee yet, so you're a little bit of blue, whatever. But what, what color would you say is your dominant emotion at this moment in life? Because we're, we're this mix of feelings. And better yet, better yet, if I asked your kids, what color is mommy's marble? <laughs> okay, what would your kids say, all right? Colin and I took our kids to see the movie, and so it's so funny, right? We're leaving the theater, and as we're walking out, Kyle says, uh, so what do you guys think? What is your primary emotion? And my son, Dell, points to anger in the movie poster and goes, Daddy, that's you. That's you. That's so you. I go, what? He goes, you're the red rage monster, Daddy. And I'm like, I, I don't get angry, you little punk. You know, I'm like... He's like, oh, yes, you do, Daddy. He goes, you remember that time? And then he proceeds to tell the story from when he was five years old. My, uh, my truck had gotten, like, sideswiped, like, the side view mirror broke off, but it didn't shatter. And I, like, wanted to save money and fix it. So I was in the driveway. He goes, Dad, you were in the driveway. You were trying to put the mirror on the truck, remember? And what happened is he walks out, and he's five years old. And so he picks up the mirror before I can put it on. I go, son, 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 son that's fragile. Put it down, put it down. And he just goes, okay. <laughs> and it shatters on the driveway, and he goes, Daddy, you got so angry. He goes, yeah, I, I, go, I don't think I was that. He goes, you took your hat, you threw it down, you stomped on your hat. And we're saying for the movie theater, I'm like, okay, son, don't, don't exaggerate. He goes, oh, no, I'm not You had a cowboy hat, Daddy, remember? You threw it down, and you stomp, 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 stomp. And my daughter's like, Daddy, you're funny. He's like, and angry, too. And it, 
And it was funny to me because that incident happened when my son was five years old, and yet he still remembers it. You know why? Because when you take a memory and attach it to an emotion, it burns in your brain, and you can remember it forever. I mean, my son was able to instantly recall that family for a whole Uh, that memory for our whole family. And and what's cool is he'll be able to talk about it 20 years from now in counseling. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a cool thing? (laughs) Emotions have that much power. What's inside eventually comes out. Even if you try to hide or mask it, you know, and it took me back because I was like, I remember this. It was a very stressful time and a season of life for our family. We had just started Liquid, so we had like all the pressures of like a young, growing church. Colleen and I were parents. We had kids under the age of, both two kids under age of seven, we were navigating some family conflict. I was like, I remember. I remember being very stressed. But see, I grew up in a family that taught never let it show, okay? If you feel, you know, a blue or sadness or, or purple for fear, you never let that leak out because we're Christians. And we put a happy face on it because we all know Christians should be full of what? Joy! I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> Do you know this? Half of you are like, where? You went to camp. Awesome. That's great. Um, that's what we would sing, right? And you'd never, that's how I was raised. You don't really express emotions super well. And so I would kind of mask it. Any negative feelings, I just kind of stuff them down until boom, they came flying out, spilled all over my five-year-old son. Daddy, you're a red rage monster, you know? Because emotions are powerful. And if you're not in control of them, they will control you. What's inside comes out. And that's really the goal of this series. It's about cultivating what Pete Scazzaro calls an emotionally healthy spirituality where you actually become aware of these feelings and emotions inside your heart, instead of denying that they exist, you actually offer them openly to your Father in heaven for healing, for processing, so that you can actually love God and others with a full, whole, and healthy heart. As Scazzaro notes in his excellent book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the big idea is this. You can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That's the thesis of the series, and, and I can tell you, There are a lot of emotionally immature Christians sitting in churches today who profess to love Jesus, but because they're controlled by fear, they avoid conflict with others. They're very afraid of ruffling feathers or making anybody upset, so they got a purple marble. Emotionally immature Christians who struggle with boundaries, they have just a hard time saying no because I don't want to disappoint people. I like to make other people happy. Yellow marbles for everybody, you know? But they're slaves to other people's approval. They don't actually live with the confidence and freedom that Jesus Christ died to give us. I've met Christians who struggle with guilt, tremendous guilty feelings. They know, they know up here that they're forgiven of sin by God, but they still struggle with shame and regret about things in their past. And they feel guilty all the time. And it's just a source of constant depression in their life. That's, That's the blue marble, right? The reality is depression is real. Sadness is real. If this is just an average crowd of average American adults, 20% of you are taking some form of medication for depression or anxiety. That's just the facts. That's not to shame anybody. It's great that you're getting help and treatment. But sooner or later, what's inside will come out. And it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. To actually enjoy a vibrant, wholehearted relationship with Jesus must mean that you are aware of your emotions. You don't just have an IQ, you have an EQ. You know what EQ stands for? Emotional intelligence that makes you self-aware and sensitive to the needs of others. Now, let me be very clear what this series is not. This is not a series about like 
getting in touch with your feelings, okay? If you're a man or you like tend to be more kind of stoic or reserved, I get this, all right? Here's the good news. Emotional intelligence is very good for the bottom line, okay? More and more business leaders, corporate consultants are emphasizing that emotional intelligence or EQ is the greatest predictor of success. If you just go home and you Google EQ, which stands for emotional intelligence, you'll see hundreds of articles like this one from the business section of Time Magazine that states EQ, when emotional intelligence first appeared to the masses, it was the missing link of a very strange finding that people with average IQs, average intelligence, outperform those with the highest IQs, the highest intelligence, 70% of the time. Why does average outperform the highest? Because conventional wisdom says, well, your, your IQ, your book smarts, your technical knowledge, your analytical ability, that's the number one predictor of success. But you know what the article says? Watch. Decades of research now point to emotional intelligence as being the critical factor that sets star performers apart from the rest of the pack. The connection is so strong that 90% of top performers have high emotional intelligence. So I just want to start out by appealing to you non-emotional types, because I see there you've got your green marble of disgust right now. You're like crossing your arms. You're like a series about feelings. <laughs> Emotions have no role, and they're irrelevant in the real world. Listen. You, you, the opposite is true of this. Emotional health is more important than ever. And the key to success in all of your key relationships, your family, your work, your, 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 and here's the good news, it can be cultivated. It can be developed, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because scripture shows that emotional health and spiritual maturity are directly linked. Let me show you how. If you take your Bible and open it, you're going to see that Christians really should be the most deeply feeling people in the world because we're made in the image of a God who feels. It's funny. That's kind of a popular misconception that, well, God doesn't have any feelings, you know. In fact, that's the number one criticism of the new atheists like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. They, they say, well, one of the ridiculous things about Christianity is a Christian God is unfeeling. He's this great watchmaker in the sky, right? He creates the universe. He winds it up. He lets it go, and then he steps away. Unemotional, uninvolved, detached. What's God doing right now? He's sort of, you know, he's just reading the paper, and he watches all the suffering and pain that humans inflict on each other, and he's uncaring, unmoved, stoic, impassive. But a survey of Scripture reveals just the opposite. The God of the Bible is not unfeeling. Rather, you serve and worship a God who feels deeply. According to Scripture, God has a very rich emotional life that runs the spectrum. If you look in your program notes today, I spotlighted for you a few Scriptures that may surprise you to see how deeply God feels. Let me read the verse. You can try to identify the primary emotion, like what color is God's marble, okay? Just take a look. In Genesis, we're told God creates, right? The universe, nature, animals. He creates men and women. Here's what it says. God saw that it was good. It was very good. Opening snapshot. God's like, yes, this is awesome. The first picture of your heavenly father is God delighting. He is relishing. He's beaming with delight over his, over his children. What emotion is that? That is what? Joy, right? Yellow marble, right? That's what any parent feels when he gives birth to kids. Of course, you know what happens, right? Kids disobey. Kids rebel. They go their own way. Sin enters the relationship. Look what it says in Genesis 6. The Lord was, let's say this word together, grieved that he had made man on earth. I can't believe we had kids. And his heart, 
was filled with what? Pain. I may be projecting something on this. I don't know. Um, what emotion is this? Grief. What is that? That is sadness, right? Blue marble. God experiences grief, heartache. He has regret from the inside out. Scripture talks actually how deeply God experiences our actions. So your heavenly father is actually full of emotion from joy to sadness to jealousy. Exodus 20 says this, I, the Lord your God, am a what? A jealous God. Anybody struggle with jealousy here? <laughs> Ever have somebody break up with you and choose somebody else and you feel jealous of their affection? That's the entire story of the Old Testament. As Israel betrayed God, they, they fell in love with other idols and God says, you know how that makes me feel, hmm, what's the word? Uh, jealous. And watch this, angry. Get ready for the red marble. Here we go. After God's people make a golden calf, God fumes in Exodus 32. He says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they're a stiff-necked people. Now watch this verse. This is incredible. Now leave me alone. Put it up here. Leave, feel the emotion. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make them into a great nation. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know, right? It, it's, like, it's like this wild mood swing. You're like, is God bipolar? Like, what is this? This wide range of emotion. He's angry. Then he's tender. Philip Yancey says that when you read the Old Testament, it almost sounds like a lover's quarrel, like that couple next door you always hear arguing through the walls. There's like betrayal. There's accusation. Then there's tears. And there's tenderness. And there's making up. And these heartfelt expressions of love. That's the heart of God in whose image you and I are made. <laughs> Full of feeling. A wide range of emotion. And of course, the dominant one, dominant one is love. In Jeremiah, God says, I have loved you. With what kind of love? An everlasting love. This is the one thing about me that doesn't change. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. What is love? Love is so much more than a feeling. It is the dominant posture of your heavenly father. As you take somebody into your heart, both the good and the bad, and you embrace them in spite of their flaws, that's the kind of love that's an everlasting love, grace. In Hosea, God confesses. He says, how can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is what? It's, it's changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. Aroused. I mean, God is moved. It's almost awkward to consider how deeply God feels. What's God doing right now? He is not in heaven, unmoved or unfeeling, just the opposite. Scripture reveals God as a deep-feeling father with a very rich emotional life at his heart level. And this is one of the key ways that you and I bear his image. You and I are made in the image of God. You know what that means? God thinks, we think. God feels, we feel. And at the very least, the call to know God includes identifying your God-given feelings and not denying them or being controlled by them, but rather bringing our feelings under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The problem is that you can't offer your feelings to God if you don't know where they are. Uh, as Cazero says, he says, so much of our true heart is buried alive. Sadness, rage, anger, tenderness, joy, happiness, fear, depression. See, it's impossible to fully love God and others from the heart when what's on the inside can't come out. I understand why. Maybe you grew up like me. Um, like a lot of Christians, I grew up being taught that feelings are pretty unreliable. You should never trust them, right? 
Because emotions go up and down. They shouldn't impact your faith or spiritual life. And we've all met somebody who lives in that extreme, right? Where they follow their feelings in some sort of unbiblical or unhealthy way. But as a teenager, I was taught this famous illustration from the four spiritual laws. Have you ever seen this? You ever guys ever see this one? The idea is that your faith is based on fact. Fact is the driver of your train, okay? In other words, what God says in his word is what the foundation of your faith is. And feeling, feeling's the caboose. And you know what? You can leave off the last F for feeling. <laughs> they actually would show you could, a train runs without the caboose, right? Never let feelings impact your faith because it's really based on the fact of God's word. And so the way it went was like this. If I felt angry, Tim, you need to combat that with reason. Well, what are you angry about, Tim? So your friend lied to your face and he betrayed you. Well, Jesus was lied and betrayed too as well. God is on the throne fact. He's sovereign. So stop the anger. Just get over it, okay? Most Christians are uncomfortable with those more difficult feelings. Some of you are even holding this in your hand. Look at your marble. If you see red in there, you think anger. Anger is anger's dangerous. That's unloving towards others. Blue, sadness. Sadness, I guess, shows a lack of faith in the promises of God. Depression, oh, depression's like a sin. You're not full of joy of the spirit. And fear, purple, fear. The Bible actually commands you, do not fear. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. It's funny, in the movie uh, Inside Out, joy actually draws a circle around sadness and says, you have to stay in this circle. I don't want you to step outside or touch any of Riley's memories. She is not allowed to feel sadness at any moment. <laughs> and the problem with this, of course, is that sadness is part of the human experience. Without giving the movie away, the ability to feel sadness and actually express grief over loss is a crucial part of emotional maturity. But many Christians are uncomfortable with that. We try to make those feelings go away by, you know, reading books, quoting scripture, anything to keep ourselves from being flooded by negative feelings. But see, as Scazzaro notes, he says, to feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of our personal God. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, others, and ourselves well. See, God designed you and I, to love him from the inside out, from the deepest, truest places of our heart. I mean, that's how relationships grow. Think about the people who you're in relationship with. When you feel deeply connected to somebody, right? When you, when you share with them on a heart level, you actually lower your defenses, you get vulnerable, you don't mask or kind of hide your emotions, you actually share your deepest thoughts and feelings and connect on that emotional level. For the first two decades of my life, that was very hard for me. I had a very limited emotional range, and so God had me marry an Italian woman, okay? That's just, who was very in touch with her emotions, okay? What was going on inside? That, this is the cause of so much conflict in marriage, like when I do marriage counseling and stuff. I was, I was raised by stoic Dutch parents, very, very loving, but you just don't show a lot of emotion. I honestly can't remember my mom or dad ever raising their voice inside the house I grew up in, all right? When there was conflict, they, we, we actually got quieter. We calmly reasoned things out. And so I just assumed, well, that's the normal way things work. And then I married Colleen, and we got in an argument, and I get quiet and sort of withdraw, and Colleen's like, I'm turning up the volume because he's not listening, right? You, she's Italian. You talk with your hands. Am I getting through to you, you know? She's half Irish, you know? It's kind of like, you want to fight and raise your voice a little bit, you know? And, all this emotional intensity was very intimidating to me. Honestly, listen, I saw it as a sign of weakness. I would take a step back and I'd be like, who is this woman taking crazy pills? You know, I'm just like, 
She can't contain her emotions. And I would put this mask on that made me feel pretty self-righteous inside, judging her. That was 17 years ago. This was before I heard the term passive-aggressive, okay? <laughs> but, but the Lord is patient. Your, your Father in heaven is so good. He is so committed to your growth, listen to this, that he brings people and experiences into your life that are upsetting in the short term. But you know what they cause you to do? You have to grow from the inside out, even when you don't want to. And let me tell you, the rewards are incredible. Today, actually, Colleen and I are celebrating our 17th anniversary. So it's a very, very exciting moment for us. Oh, thanks very much. Um, and let me tell you, we have our own collection of marbles now, okay? Through tears, through laughter, through joy, through sadness, we've had yellow, blue, green, red marbles. We have a whole collection. And with the help of Scripture, through very intentional prayer and the support of, of friends who are close to Christ who can speak into us, the support of Christian counseling, we have become much more balanced and wholehearted in our love for God and each other. And that's what we're trying to model for our kids. We want them to have an emotionally healthy spirituality that doesn't stuff emotions, but isn't controlled by them either. See, that's the other extreme I often see in Christian circles. On the one end of the spectrum is the person who stuffs their feelings, but the other side is that you can't contain them, right? We all know people who have difficulty containing their emotions because they feel something and their feelings run away with them and steal the show. Ladies, maybe you can identify with this. When you perceive a gap in relationships, for example, take your husband, all right? If your husband seems distant or like he's not talking to you and you start thinking, you don't even say, you're just like, well, what's wrong with him? You know, why is he, what's he trying to say? He's not saying anything. What's he saying by that? Uh, you know, there's something wrong. There's someone else. And all of a sudden your emotions start ramping up, right? And it can be difficult to dial down and think rationally. Maybe you have seen um, this his and her diary that imagines how a married couple experiences the exact same day. Let me, let me show you this real quickly. This is the wife's diary, okay? She experiences a day like this. She says, dear diary, uh, tonight I thought my husband was acting weird. We made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner, but was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset at the fact that I was a bit late, but he made no comment on it. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested we go somewhere quiet to talk. He agreed, but didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said, nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset. That had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly but kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say I love you too. When we got home, I felt as if I had lost him completely, as if he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I still felt that he was distracted and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure that his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. It's the woman's diary. Now let me read you the man's diary from the exact same day. The husband's diary says, motorcycle won't start. Can't figure out why. See, I read some of your diaries. I can say, I know, I know how you guys live. I know how you, some of you live. Do, do some of you let your emotions kind of run away with you? Because you see, that's, that's the other extreme of unhealthy emotional spirituality, where you actually feel so strongly on an emotional level that they start affecting your thoughts and actually distort even the way you view reality. You actually feel things that maybe aren't even there. 
And it generates all this, this sadness and anxiety and worry and suspicion and creates even lies in your head. And then watch, watch, guys. This is where the enemy gets in and just pours it on. Because then you get focused on fear and anxiety, and you start thinking about things that aren't even necessarily true, and it's overwhelming. And you, some, and you sometimes wonder, you're like, am I, am I going crazy? Am I, like, losing my marbles? You know, right? What's inside comes out too much, and I wish my emotions didn't control me. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to let emotions run the show. Instead of being dominated by your feelings, you actually can turn to your father, who actually created them, can help you understand them, give you strength to manage them, and even make your emotions work for you instead of against you. See, sadness doesn't have to turn to depression. Your frustration doesn't have to turn to rage. Jesus Christ, your Savior, our Lord, is our model par excellence for an emotionally healthy spirituality that integrates body, soul, and mind. See, Christianity is so practical. If you're not a Christian, here's what we believe. As Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ lived the life that we were supposed to live. He lived the perfect life. He was without sin. And then he died the death that you and I deserved. And because of that, he says, anyone who believes in me, I can actually set free from the grip of shame and fear, and they can come out of hiding and become their true selves that the Father created them to be. Jesus Christ is our healer. He's able to restore. He's able to make things new, and that includes our emotions and our negative memories as well. So when you look to the suffering of Jesus that he endured prior to his death on the cross, we see what it means to love God from the inside out. The message paraphrase puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, this is the kind of life you've been invited into as a Christ follower, the kind of life that Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong, not one thing set amiss. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let his Father in heaven set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin. Watch, now say this together. Free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. And some of us need that. We need healing. I mean, you know, we laugh about this stuff, but we've all had things that happen to us that stir up negative feelings and memories. You may be here today, and you know what? Maybe, maybe you are, you're, seriously, you're like, man, there is a, I have a blue marble. Maybe a, a spouse or a family member betrayed you, or you suffered a, an assault or abuse of some type, and it creates this anxiety and this insecurity and this fear. I think we would all agree that suffering, whatever form it takes, can generate incredibly painful emotions. But notice, God's word doesn't try to sugarcoat or shield us from the fact that Jesus experienced incredible intensity as he waited in the garden to pay the penalty that would pay the price for our sins. When Jesus was in the garden the night before his arrest, you know what Mark 14 says? This is amazing. It says, Jesus began to be, what's the word? Deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with what? Sorrow to the point of death. It's a pretty blue marble, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Jesus is saying, I'm so sad, I feel like I could die. And this is the son of God. And soon after, he's arrested, he's tortured, he's mocked, he's insulted, he's ridiculed, lied about, unjustly sentenced to death. And what's the example he gives us? Do we see red marble? Do we see a man enraged by the insults, lashing out in anger and vengeance? Do we see a man cowering in fear? 
afraid, doing whatever it takes to avoid suffering and all these negative feelings. No, 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 no. See, the example Jesus left is radically different from what you would expect of somebody who'd gone through the agony that he endured. It says they called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. In other words, Jesus offered all of that pain in his heart to his father from the inside out. And that's where he received the supernatural strength to endure. He lived by the truth of God's word and the security of the father's love. Jesus lived dependent on God's truth, and he can actually help you and I live from that reality too. As Dr. Amy Baker writes, this is powerful, psychologist, she says, the truth that is found in Jesus has the ability to set us free, free from the domination of fear, free from bitterness, free from worry, free from the domination of shame, free from uncontrolled anger, free from depression and hopelessness. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? That's the point of the Christian life. We find freedom as we submit our feelings to the word of God from the inside out. When you spend time with the Lord in solitude, and silence. We're going to get to that later in the series, the role of solitude and silence, simply meaning coming into the presence of God. And you lay bare your emotions before the Father, the good, the bad, the ugly. When you risk to share your innermost thoughts and feelings with trusted brothers and sisters, guess what happens? Christ's wounds become our healing. See, we have a very gracious, compassionate God who helps us in our weakness. Scripture says Jesus was without sin, and yet he's able to sympathize and identify with us in our weakness. So when we're suffering, God is not unmoved. He moves towards us. That's why the Father actually sends the Son. Why does he send Jesus? To enter our mess and suffer in our place. God sees the pain, the suffering of his children, and he actually does something about it. He sends Jesus to save us. Alone in the garden, Jesus experienced such agony that it says his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. And even so, he said, I'm going to trust my father with all these painful feelings. And as we turn to Christ, he becomes our strength when our emotions threaten to dominate us. He says, I'm going to fill you with a new spirit, not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, a spirit of freedom that gives you freedom to live like me. And this is so practical, especially if you struggle on the inside with negative feelings or memories. There's a woman named Allie. It's not a real name. You'll understand why I changed her name in a minute. And, uh, and she wrote these words. She said, yesterday, I started thinking about what my brother did to me when I was eight years old. And all those old feelings of shame came flooding back, and I couldn't focus on anything else. For anybody who has experienced abuse, okay, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, especially at the hands of a family member or somebody that you trusted, it can be very hard to manage those feelings, even if it's years in the past. It's a grave disservice to say, oh, come on, that was years ago. Just move on and get over it. That is a disservice. The father never treats his children that way. Scripture says God is actually close to the brokenhearted. He has special tenderness to those who are hurting. And when we belong to Christ, our emotions can feel very powerful. But you know what? Christ's redemption teaches us to leverage our emotions to actually run towards God and empower us to actually live for him even when we feel like we can't. For instance... Allie, in this situation, she could use her feelings of shame, right, from her abuse as a very vulnerable eight-year-old. She was sinned against, right? But she takes all the shame from her brother's evil actions, and as she 
takes it to the cross. I want you to understand this. Allie's lived for decades with the shame of her, her brother's sin against her. She takes those negative things to Jesus and submits them to the authority of Christ. She actually can experience Christ in a new way as a brother who never did any wrong and yet was smeared by someone else's sin. See, just as Ali suffered because of somebody's sin, Christ, her Redeemer, suffered. And her, his suffering makes it possible to cleanse her and set her free. That is a powerful truth. That is a liberating truth. It actually is a powerful emotional experience with God. As Scripture moves from the head to watch to the what? Heart. And Ali remembers the cross in prayer. She reads God's word. She opens her heart. She begins experiencing firsthand the healing presence of a Savior who also endured shame and says, I can set you free of yours. So shame, fear, although negative, can drive her to Jesus, the one who alone can heal us from the inside out. That's just an example. And understand, this is not a quick or easy process, okay? You've got to be realistic. The healing of emotions takes time. But the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. You know what it says in Scripture? Weeping doesn't last for the night. It says, tears may last the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy, yellow marble. For those who know Christ and you open your heart to him from the inside out, joy will actually grow as the Father's love heals, invades, and floods your soul. Jesus shows us how to walk in emotional health and freedom together. As scripture says, he suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done. And also how to do it step by step. His wounds became your healing. Can I ask what color is your marble today, right now? Like right now, you have a marble, and if you look at it, would you go look down at it a minute? There's probably two or three colors inside of it. Which one is the dominant one as you look back on your week? What, what feelings maybe you've even become aware of as I've been speaking? Because in a crowd this size, I know there are people all along the spectrum. Some of you are like, you're looking at your marble, and you're like, oh, right now today, man, mine is mainly yellow. I, I am full of joy, right? You're celebrating, you know, a marriage or the birth of your first, of a child or something like that. Someone came up to me before the last service. They said, man, we get married in two weeks. I'm like, awesome, man, yellow marble, you know. Just wait two weeks. It'll be a little bit blue, you know. <laughs> just, just, you know, just kidding. Uh, you know, others... Others, others, maybe you're feeling, maybe you're feeling, maybe, not to make light of it, maybe you are feeling sadness or grief today. You may be going through a very difficult season and you're struggling with loss. That's actually where I am right now. As I thought about this week, I was like, you know where my marble is? It's a combination of yellow and blue today. This is what my marble would be today. Because right now, this is kind of the yellow part. This is a sweet time in our family's life, right? We love our kids. We drop them off at camp. We're like, joy, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. That's yellow. But, but listen, 2014, when I look back on last year, 2014 was a, was a year of loss for me. I, I lost my dad last spring, my greatest role model, friend in life. I lost my close friend Tom, who moved across the country. I don't see him now every week. That's a loss of, to, to me. And then on top of it all, you know, three weeks ago, my hairdresser moved to Florida. That is a major <laughs> loss in my world, all right? I'm just telling you about this, all right? But, but that's also life. That's, look, that's life. Yellow and blue, side by side, joy and sadness. And so let me tell you what I'm doing. Like right now in my devotional time with the Lord, I'm processing that with the Lord as I'm reading through the Psalms. The Psalms are like the most emotionally expressive scriptures in, all, in the entire Bible. And they often give voice to, for me to kind of help tell God what I'm feeling. And as I talk about that, I talk about my grief with my wife, with you know, close friends, Christian counselor. Do you know why I do that? Do you know why I do that? Because I don't want my hurts to shut down my heart. 
I want them to actually expand my capacity to love God, to love my family, and love you from the inside out. I don't want the red rage monster to be the defining memory, you know, my son has. So I don't know what color your marble is, but here's the deal. I'm giving this to you as a gift. This is yours to take. I want everyone to put it in their pocket. Go ahead, put it in your pocket. You can hold it in your hand, whatever it is. I want you to take this home. I'm not even charging you for it. Don't throw money on the stage. Just, just take it. It's a gift. I want you to take this home. I want you to place it next to your Bible, wherever you spend time with God. And if you don't spend time with God, let this be an invitation. I want this to remind you to bring your feelings to Christ this week before they spill onto others, okay? Be emotionally honest with your Father in heaven because he's the one who gave you those feelings in the first place and he can handle it. Jesus can be trusted to minister to you and meet your, your fear, your anger, your sadness with his love. And this week in your quiet time, here's what I want you to do. Spend some time talking to God from the inside out. If you're like, I don't even know where to start. Here's what I did. In your notes, I listed five psalms for you to read this week, one each day. These are five psalms for every season. You'll see joy is the one is where we'll start there. Psalm 33, it's a time to dance, a beautiful psalm. There are contentment when your soul's at rest. If you're going on vacation, don't check out from God. Read Psalm 62. Fear when you feel alone or you feel scared. Psalm 55, there's such confidence and strength in that moment. Sadness when depression closes in. Do you know what? God's word is so alive. It is so realistic. It's not idealistic. Psalm 88 will help you tap into that. David, a man after God's own heart, wrote these words, and God said, I want to include it in my book so you can know you can come to me with that. Anger, when you're boiling over, okay? You'll enjoy Psalm 79. These psalms are emotionally expressive, and they can help give voice to tell God what you're feeling. And if you want any more evidence, do you know what Jesus used as his prayer book? The psalms. When he was suffering on the cross, he quoted from the psalms. Suffering in the garden, the psalms. When he prayed, the psalms. Offer your whole heart to God, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and let your heavenly Father love you from the inside out. Amen? Remember, as you allow your heart to feel, guys, and you balance it with the truth of God's word, you will experience less and less bondage to your emotions and more and more of the freedom that Jesus promises. Amen? Let's stand together and offer our hearts to God in prayer. Bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for being a wholehearted God. We thank you that you have created us, Father, to feel the full range of expression. But most of all, we are awakened this morning to your great love for us. Father God, that in the middle of our sadness and our pain and our confusion, love cuts through. And Jesus Christ comes in and he sets the captives free. And Father God, I pray for those who are struggling right now with fear. That, Father God, your love casts out fear. I pray, Father God, that you would awaken us to a sense of you being closer to us than a brother. You are in our heart right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you cleanse us from the inside out? Set us free, Father God. Heal broken relationships and memories, Father God, as we submit them now to our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.